0: you would turn to Psalm 37. We're going to look at different scriptures this morning. I'd like to begin with Psalm 37 as we talk again about pursuing happiness. We started this series back on New Year's, uh, talking about being happy this new year and whether or not we should even wish people that kind of uh, greeting. Uh, should we talk about happiness or should we really talk about other things like holiness or or something else? And we highlighted the fact that happiness is very much the pursuit of the Christian life when it's rightly understood. And that's why I mentioned uh, Augustine who said, if I were to ask you why you have believed in Christ, why you have become Christians, I um, Every man will answer, surely, for the sake of happiness. Augustine is one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church. And so he would say that Christianity is very much about happiness. And so the idea that if I become a Christian, I have to give up all my desire for happiness, is just a lie from the pit. It's a lie from the devil that... Uh, seeks to deceive us and actually to rob us of true and lasting happiness. Well, if you notice, in Psalm 37, what we have here is actually a psalm that is very much about dealing with life in a fallen world, uh, dealing with uh, evil people and evil circumstances. And in the midst of this discussion of evil people and evil circumstances, we have this encouragement Indeed, this command to pursue our happiness. And so if you look at the very beginning of Psalm 37, it says, Do not fret because of evil doers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will uh, wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. In verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noon day. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. And it goes on from there to talk about that same theme of How do you deal with life in a fallen world? How do you deal with evil people and and difficult circumstances? And at the very beginning, he says that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord, which is another way of saying, pursue your happiness in God. And then when he says, and he will give you the desires of your heart, he means, and you will not be disappointed. You pursue your happiness in God. If you delight yourself in the Lord or seek to be delighted in the Lord or with the Lord, however you want to put it, you will not be disappointed. He will give you your heart's desire. And what is the desire of every heart? The desire of every heart is to be happy. Uh, Like we've mentioned Pascal before, he says all men seek happiness. And so there's no doubt that our heart's desire is to be happy. And yet the Bible says that happiness is not found apart from God. It's found in God. And so that's why we want to continue talking about the pursuit of happiness because if we don't believe that the pursuit of happiness is at the heart of Christianity, we won't understand how to fight sin, and we won't understand how the world, the flesh, and the devil is always tempting us because it's always tempting us to believe that happiness is found outside of God, outside of Christianity, outside the Bible. It's found in the world. It's found in doing what I want to do and not doing what God wants me to do. And so we want to look at this. We'll look at several scriptures, uh, draw your te- your attention to it as we go through this and just think this through this morning. The first thing I want to do is to highlight the fact that we do pursue our happiness, uh, whether we recognize it or not. And And it's just part of how God has wired us. He has wired us to pursue our happiness. And both scripture and experience highlights that. Another scripture, you don't have to turn to these scriptures, but just listen carefully as I highlight some other scriptures. Isaiah 55 says, and God is speaking, Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? God is asking, why are you pursuing what will never make you happy? Then he says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Pursue your own happiness in what I offer you and promise you. In Galatians 5, Paul says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a command to love yourself. That is a command to love others in light of the fact that you already love yourself. How do we love ourselves? We pursue our own good. We pursue our own happiness. So how am I to love other people? I'm going to pursue their good. I'm going to pursue their happiness. And if we're Christians, we know that's in the Lord. And therefore, I pursue other people's happiness in the Lord. And again, as Pascal said, all men seek happiness. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. So, scripture highlights the fact that we naturally pursue our own happiness, our own good, and that's not a bad thing. The issue is where are we looking for that good and happiness? And even uh, our own experience uh, speaks to that. If you think about the Declaration of Independence, uh, the argument at the beginning for the Declaration of Independence and for our fight against Great Britain was the issue of happiness. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, however that might have been defined. And it goes on to say, uh, we feel like we have the right to alter our relationship with Great Britain um, because it seems like it's for our, our own safety and happiness to do so. That, what Great Britain is doing to us, the King of Great Britain is doing to us, is against our own safety and happiness, and therefore it's right for us to do something different. That's not uh, different than what Paul says when he tells us to pray for kings and those in authority in 1 Timothy 2. When he says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. When he talks about praying for our authorities, that we might live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, it's another way of saying that we might be truly happy. just using different words. It's just a different way of speaking, of being able to pursue our happiness in God without opposition. The reality is that um, the longer you live, the more you might wonder whether or not uh, happiness is just an illusion. Uh, People have great aspirations when they graduate from high school as they begin to get out on their own, but give it 30 years and people might have a very different perspective on life and whether or not happiness can truly be found. The movie The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith... In that movie, uh, Will Smith's character uh, begins reflecting on the Declaration of Independence and uh, what Thomas Jefferson wrote, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he asks the question to himself, uh, how did Thomas Jefferson know to put the pursuit of happiness in there and not just happiness? And then he goes on to say that maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have it. We have the right to pursue happiness, but we shouldn't think we're ever going to find it. We're we ever, ever going to really, happy, really find true and lasting happiness. There might be pleasures to be had. There might be experiences to be had. But will we really ever find full and lasting happiness? And the reality is not outside of God, not apart from God. And, and that's the message of Christianity is that we can find full and lasting, foreverlasting happiness in God through Jesus. That's why he came. And so um, you can argue that I as a pastor and other people who preach the word of God and teach the word of God are actually uh, joy brokers or happiness Helpers or comfort consultants, and why would I say that? It's because Paul said it in Second Corinthians one twenty four. He said, "Not that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. We're workers with you for your joy. That's happiness in God. Uh, that's what we're doing when we preach the word and we teach the word. We're pursuing your happiness. We want you to be happy." That's why we're telling you the truth. That's why we're proclaiming the gospel. And so he goes on to say, for in your faith, you're standing firm. And it's all about faith. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Just briefly, I touched on this the first time we talked about happiness at the beginning of the year. There are some important distinctions to make, and I can't spend a lot of time on this. But one distinction to make is that sometimes people say joy and happiness are two different things. And if we ask the question, are joy and happiness two different things? The answer is yes and no. Joy and happiness are different things if we define happiness as being happy with everything that's happening in my life that I can see. The reality is we're not always happy with what we see and what's going on in our life in and of itself. Should I be happy about people suffering No, should I be happy about my suffering in and of itself? No, suffering is a result of the fall. And sometimes it's the result of our own sin. Not always. But the reality is, when it says count it all joy, when we encounter various trials or sufferings, it's not saying rejoice in the suffering itself. It's saying rejoice in the God over that suffering Rejoice in the promises God has made to you through that suffering. Uh, Count that this is going to result in your greater joy, the suffering that you're going through. And so, biblical joy is happiness in God and His love. I may not be happy with my circumstances per se, in terms of what I see, but I should be happy in my real circumstances. What are my real circumstances? my unseen circumstances. There is a God and he loves me and I know he loves me because I trust in his son and therefore he's made me amazing promises that he will keep and therefore my joy and my happiness is found in my circumstances but they are unseen circumstances to a great degree. God is unseen and his subtle and secret work in my life and the lives of others is largely unseen and therefore even though what is seen in my life i can say there's a lot of suffering there's a lot of sin but i see more than that i see more than the sin and suffering i see the god who has dealt with that sin and suffering in the person of his son and has made me great and wonderful promises And he's promised to work all of that together for my good. The second thing or distinction we should make is that the pursuit of happiness is not simply the pursuit of pleasure. Sin can be very pleasurable. And so if I define the pursuit of happiness as the pursuit of pleasure, I will give myself to all kinds of sin. But the pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of pleasure. Pleasure in God, the pleasure that God gives. The Bible says that in, in God's presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forever. God is not against pleasure. He's against sinful pleasures because they will never satisfy. They never last. There's the law of diminishing returns. There's the fact that they lead to death, not to life. And so there's a distinction between the kinds of pleasures that we're pursuing. Then there's a distinction between with regard to the issue of doing what we want to do. The pursuit of happiness is not simply doing what we want to do. It is, in a sense, doing what we want to do, in that we should pursue our happiness, because we want to do that. But the reality is, if I simply think that by doing whatever I want to do, I'm going to be happy, that's a lie. I may have to do the hard thing, which is maybe not what I want to do, but it's what God wants me to do. And God says, if you follow what I call you to do, you will have what your heart longs for. But if you simply follow your heart, your heart's going to lead you off a cliff. Your heart's going to lead you down the path of death unless that heart is renewed by the Holy Spirit through the word. And that heart is in line with what God says is really good. The last distinction I'll just touch on very briefly is a person may argue that they are happy without God. And you'll find people that will say, you know, I don't need religion. I don't need God. I'm happy the way I am. I've got this nice car and this nice house. I've got this nice wife and my my kids, and I've got a nice retirement, Um, you know, vacation home on the lake. I'm good. I'm good. In a sense, they're content. They're happy without God. But what is the problem with that? everything that they would say gives them contentment and happiness is something that is ultimately from God. It's a common grace gift. God blesses even those who don't trust Him and love Him and know Him, all kinds of common grace gifts. But ultimately one day that's going to come to an end. And God will give us what we really want. If, if, we, really want, if we really want a life without God, then ultimately he he will say, okay, I'll give you the life without me. What you don't understand is all the good things you enjoy here is the fruit of me. So to take God away is to take all the good away. These things are just things that point to God. They're just uh, just imperfect reflections of his goodness and his kindness and his mercy and love. And so... It's the illusion to say that I'm happy without God. No, you may be happy with the things that God provides, but you don't realize that no one can be happy without God because that's what hell is. Hell is the absence of God and all the good that he gives. Heaven is the presence of God and all the good that he gives. And so we have to be careful of thinking that happiness can be found outside of God because people seem to be having a really good time. Without God, well, they're not really having a good time without God. God is just being so merciful, so gracious and blessing them in ways they don't deserve, just like none of us do. Well, just want to run through that quickly as a reminder as we think about this issue of happiness and to encourage us. The second thing is we should should pursue happiness. We do pursue happiness, but we should embrace the fact that we should pursue happiness. Um, because it truly is foundational to living the Christian life in the way that we should. And it raises the question, how should I pursue happiness? If If I am pursuing it unconsciously or consciously, how do I pursue it consciously? What should I do or not do? And in Proverbs 3, it says, How blessed or how happy is the man who finds wisdom. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, And happy are all those who hold her fast. Which means not all uh, pursuits of happiness are equal. There's a wise way to pursue happiness, and there's a foolish way to pursue happiness. Just very quickly, there's some things that are just foundational to this whole pursuit of happiness. One is, God wants us to be happy. If we don't believe that, we will run away from God, not toward God. Um, He wants us to be happy because he loves us. And if you love someone, you want them to be happy. He wants us to be happy because he's happy. And if you love someone, you want them to have the happiness you have. He wants us to be happy because the gospel is the good news of happiness. That's what it says in Isaiah. And God wants us to be happy because the Christian life is about pursuing our happiness in God. And I need to remember that. Otherwise, when sin comes and says... I'll make you happy. How are you going to fight that? If I don't think God wants me to be happy, then I say, well, sin and Satan seem to want me to be happy, and I kind of want to be happy. It is so important that we see that God truly wants us to be happy, and that's why it says in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The pursuit of happiness in God is your strength. The second premise is God commands our happiness, which means... We don't have to be afraid of the Bible. Don't have to be afraid of reading what God calls me to do. Because many times I read the Bible and it sounds like God is commanding my unhappiness. He's telling me to do things that I don't think are really going to make me happy. And yet the reality is he commands our happiness. That's why it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. God's purpose is not contrary to the pursuit of our happiness God's word is not contrary to the pursuit of our happiness. Ultimately, it means if we want to grow in happiness, we must grow in trust and love. And that's why it says in Galatians 5, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. It all comes down to that. Um, So God wants us to be happy. His word commands us and tells us how to be happy, and we need to embrace that. But we need to realize that all pursuits of happiness are not equal, and so how do we pursue it rightly? Um, Ernest Hemingway was a great writer. Some of you may be familiar with Ernest Hemingway. Um, There are things that he really enjoyed. He enjoyed writing, uh, won great prizes for his writing. He also loved to hunt and fish, was a great hunter and fisherman. I also loved many women, married four times, and involved in other things. But ultimately, he took his own life. He pursued his happiness with all he could pursue it with. And in the end, it didn't make him happy. Money, success, fame, women, none of those things ultimately made him happy. And he ended up taking his life which is a truly sad, sad thing. And that's why it says in Proverbs 16.25, there's a way, that, way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so we have to listen very carefully to what the Bible says is truly the way of life, lest we just naturally pursue the way of death. And the Bible says in all kinds of ways that it comes down to two things, trust and love. If you read through your Bible, in the New Testament especially, it's interesting how often faith and love go together. Uh, I've already read Galatians 5, 6, where Paul says, what really matters is faith working through love. In Ephesians 6, it says, "'Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.'" Colossians 1 says, "'We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints.'" 1 Thessalonians 3 says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, then he goes on from there. 1 Thessalonians 5, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. 2 Thessalonians 1 says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. 1 Timothy 1 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And so over and over again, the Bible talks about the importance of faith and love. And if you look at some of the uh, historic Reformed uh, confessions and catechisms, you'll see the same kind of thing. And one of the most famous is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. A catechism is a question and answer um, doctrinal uh, expose or expression of the truth, um, essential truths that was actually made for teaching children and for teaching new Christians. And so the Westminster Shorter Catechism starts out, has 107 questions, uh, talks about the Lord's Prayer, uh, talks about other things, but at the very beginning, it talks about what we're talking about. Uh, The first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and there's a man named Thomas Vincent who wrote a commentary on the Shorter Catechism, and he'll ask questions of the questions. And so one of the questions he asks is, why is the glorifying of God and the enjoyment of God joined together as one chief end? Not two chief ends, but one, to glorify God and enjoy Him. He says, because God has inseparably join them together so that men cannot truly design and seek the one without the other. They go together. You can't seek to glorify God without seeking to enjoy Him. You can't seek to enjoy God without seeking to glorify Him. He says, They enjoy God most in His house on earth, do most glorify and enjoy Him. He goes on to say, And when God shall be most fully enjoyed by the saints in heaven, He will be most highly glorified. He says the same thing that, um, John Piper says, uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So that isn't original with Piper. Even the Puritans were saying that long before Piper. He asked the question, why ought man chiefly to desire and seek the enjoyment of God forever? He says, because God is the chief good and in the enjoyment of God doth consist man's chiefest Happiness. That's our greatest happiness is to be found in God. Then he also says we're to pursue um, the enjoyment of God forever because in this life it comes up short of all that we would desire. He says God is imperfectly and inconstantly enjoyed here. And men cannot be perfectly happy until they come to the eternal enjoyment of God in heaven. So he highlights the fact that yes, there is an enjoyment of God, there's a happiness in God that we can begin to experience here, but the fullness of it is going to be in heaven. A second question in the Catechism says, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him, God? The answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify Him, and enjoy Him, or God. So the answer to the question, okay, if it's true that I'm supposed to glorify and enjoy God, and pursuing my happiness in God is crucial to glorifying God, how do I do that? Do I just kind of follow my heart? Do I just kind of uh, watch Oprah? No, how do I do that? And the answer to the question is, the Bible is so crucial. God has revealed to us how to pursue our own happiness. He hasn't revealed to us how to avoid our own happiness, but how to pursue our own happiness. And so he highlights the fact that it's in the scriptures. And the question then becomes, what do the scriptures teach? What do they fundamentally teach us? And the answer, and this is the third question. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. It tells us what to believe and it tells us how to love. It's faith and love. What we are to believe concerning God and all that God has revealed, what duty God requires of man, which is love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so it's faith and love. So how do we pursue our happiness in God? It's all about faith and love. And that's confirmed uh, through godly men throughout history in so many ways, which brings me to the last two points that I want to spend a little time on before we wrap up. To be happy, I have to believe rightly. My my faith is crucial. What I believe is true is so important. I I used this illustration before, uh, but imagine a man coming to you with a knife, like this or like this or whatever. Um, Are you going to be happy about that? It depends. It depends on whether that man is a surgeon who intends to rescue you from whatever it is you need to be rescued from, or whether he's a robber and a murderer who intends to take life from you. Is he with, does he have that knife to give you life? Or does he have that knife to take your life? If he has that knife to give you life, you're happy about that because that's what you want. If he has that knife to take your life, then you're not happy about that. So what you believe will determine how you respond. And the point is, it does matter whether or not we define that guy properly. If we think he's a surgeon, but he's a robber, we might be happy about him coming, but we're going to die. We might think he is a robber, but he's a surgeon, And we're going to run away from him and not receive the benefit of it. So there are two things that are important. That we believe the truth about things and that we trust in that truth. We trust our lives with that truth. And so the biggest threat to our happiness is lies. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 4, The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, lies, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Now what's going on there? It says these doctrines of demons are trying to take you away from what is good. Forbid marriage, forbid foods that God has given you for your enjoyment, for your good. The lies of the devil, the lies of the world, the lies of our flesh are actually drawing us away from what is good, not drawing us to what is good. Um, in Romans 15, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing what? Believing the truth. Believing the gospel. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in months to come, we're going to be talking about these truths. This truth about God, man, Jesus, faith, and love. And we can just kind of summarize it this way this morning. God is the supreme good who created us to be holy and happy in his love. I need to believe that. Man, naturally apart from grace, is an idol worshiper who looks for help and happiness apart from God. We need to understand that and believe that, that that's our natural propensity. Jesus is the double cure who saves us from sin and satisfies us in God. And both of those things are essential. You can't be satisfied in God and not have your sin dealt with. Faith is trust in the promises that rest in Jesus and hopes in God for help and happiness. And love is the obedience of faith that submits to God's word and submits to God's sovereign will over our lives. You can't be happy and not submit to his word. You can't be happy and not submit to his sovereign will over your life, whatever he's ordained for you to walk through. Happiness requires all of that, and we'll talk about that so basically what I'm saying is in this point is that our unhappiness in this life is tied to our unbelief. If happiness is tied to our faith, then our unhappiness is a result of our unbelief. And the more I have his mind, the more I will have his joy. The more I see things like he sees things and believe what he believes, the more I will have his joy. That's why we have to ask ourselves, what am I giving my mind to? What am I giving my heart to? So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul spends 11 chapters telling us what the gospel is, what the truth is. And then in Romans 12, he tells us, now, this is how you live your life. And he says, in light of God's mercy to you in Jesus, you've been forgiven. You've been adopted into the family of God by faith. Now, this is how you live. You present your life to God as a living sacrifice. And the first part of your body that needs to be dealt with is your mind, Your mind needs to be transformed. What you believe to be true needs to be transformed because you're believing a bunch of lies about God, even if you're saved. You still don't see God as you should. I don't see God as I should fully. It's all a process of beginning to see God like He really is, believing the truth about myself like I really am, and seeing life as I should. And so we're transformed We pursue our happiness in God now that we've been reconciled to God through the renewing of our mind. And that's why there are men like George Mueller, a great man of faith, who would say, um, in talking to young Christians, he would say, According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. He says, the most important thing is your joy in God, your happiness in God, whether or not your heart is rejoicing in God. And then he says, and let me tell you how that happens. And he says, when I was a young Christian, I didn't realize how important the Bible was. I neglected the Bible. And he said, I didn't read the whole Bible through and I didn't meditate on the Bible as I should. Therefore, I wasn't making progress in my joy in the Lord. So he says, it is absolutely needful in order that happiness in the Lord may continue that the Scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. He said, through his experience, I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it. So what he's saying is, the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He's not saying simply the reading of the Bible is going to make us happy. But knowing that God gives us faith through the word means that as he gives us a stronger and stronger faith through our meditation on the word of God, then our faith, our happiness in God will grow. Our joy in God will grow. And so he's encouraging us to realize that faith is crucial. And therefore, the word of God is crucial to our happiness. And unbelief is what robs us of our happiness in God. In this life, we'll never be perfectly happy because we'll never be perfectly sanctified. We'll never be perfectly unbelieving. But we can grow in our faith and therefore we can grow in our happiness in God too. Finally, let me just come to the last point. Not only is truth important, but practice is important. To be happy, I need to live rightly. Uh, there was a, theologian named Karl Barth, who many people for many years considered one of the greatest uh, theologians in the 20th century. Well, evidently, recently, I'm not sure how recently, but recently, uh, they began to find some correspondence between Karl Barth and his assistant. He had an assistant. And they have come to find out that Karl Barth was having an affair with his assistant for many, many years, and as far as we know, until the end of his life, and there was never any repentance of that. And it went to the point where he actually um, brought her into his own home. And his wife went into a tailspin, severe depression, because she knew what was going on. And... uh, his wife said, I'm going to divorce you if you don't get rid of her. And they had this little powwow and Karl Barth since she said no. And they just went on from there. Nothing changed. And if you read some of the things that he wrote, you realize that he justified his sin theologically. He said, it cannot just be the devil's work. It must have some meaning and a right to live that we, no, I will only talk about me, that I love you and do not see any chance to stop this. Somebody has tried to understand exactly what he's saying there, and they've kind of said, this appears to be what what he's saying. It couldn't possibly be that God intended for him to deny his affections for a woman who wasn't his wife, even though this is what scripture clearly teaches. So he concludes God has purposes to keep him in this tension, refusing to divorce his wife and refusing to deprive himself of his relationship with this assistant. Uh, he said, Karl Barth said, thus I stand before the eyes of God without being able to escape from him, speaking of God, in one or the other way. The commentary goes on. God, according to Bart, has placed him in an impossible dilemma where the closest thing to obedience and the most pious option is to stay in an adulterous relationship. So what's going on there? Karl Barth, supposedly one of the greatest theologians in the 20th century, is arguing that God has put him between a rock and a hard place. That his word says this is the path to happiness, but he knows that because of this relationship that this is really the path to happiness. God has put him between a rock and a hard place. And therefore, he's not going to repent because pursuing his happiness is what he really believes God wants him to do, which is true. But it will be only through actually submitting ourselves to the word of God, not simply submitting to our own feelings and our own desires. And so living rightly is truly, truly important, Um, Greg uh, Kukul, Kukul, is that how you say it? Something like that. He's a guy with Stand to Reason Ministries. Um, He has a phrase that he likes to use, I think, in his podcast where he says, give them heaven. And you know what that's the play off of, right? Uh, The opposite would be to give them the place where the devil and his angels were intended to go. And so instead of that, he says, don't give people that, but give people heaven. And what does he mean by give them heaven? Well, uh, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon out of uh, on 1 Corinthians 13, and the sermon was entitled, Heaven, a World of Love. And so to give someone heaven is to love them. It's to love them like God loves them. And therefore, uh, how do I pursue my own happiness? Not by giving people that, but we give people heaven. We pursue love, even if they're giving us the opposite. That's the important thing to note. It's not just give some people heaven, but give everyone heaven, even if they're not giving that back in return. And the, the Bible tells us what that looks like that it looks like forgiveness, it looks like forbearance, it looks like patience and kindness, it looks like doing good to those who don't do good to you, it looks like praying for your enemies, it looks like all kinds of things that don't come naturally, but only come supernaturally. And that's why it says in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. The law of God is the law of love. We pursue our own happiness, as well as the happiness of others, by submitting ourselves to the Word of God and seeking to do what He tells me is the loving thing to do. That's why it says in John 15, Jesus is speaking, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Tells me that Jesus wants me to be happy. Jesus wants me to be happy as he is. But it's related to doing what he does. It's related to loving like he loves. That's what his commandments are about. When he says, I want you to abide in my love, by abiding in my commandments, by doing what I've commanded you to do, because my commandments are all about loving, about loving God and loving people. And you will have my joy increasingly as you give yourself to doing what I call you to do. Now, we can't do that apart from him. And that's why we pray. And that's why we meditate on the scripture, for grace to live more and more that way. But we're going to talk about the fact that the Bible calls us to live in certain ways, Um, to pursue our happiness and we'll try to flesh this out in the months to come. And the Bible talks in this way. It says that we as Christians are to spread the good news through faithful communication. We're to share the gospel. We're to seek God in public and in private communion. We gather for worship. We have our quiet times. We're to share life and gifts in local community. We're to spend life together, do life together, and we're to use our gifts to build one another up in love. We're to show compassion to the lost and needy. We're to serve well in our common grace roles in the family, workplace, and world. Which means I seek to be a good husband and a good father. I seek to be a good employee. I seek to be a good citizen. According to the word of God, all of that is pursuing my happiness. It's not just, i got to do what God tells me to do. It will be that if we don't realize that no, God has said, you will have my joy as you embrace my lifestyle, as you embrace my love, you will have that. It's not contrary to it at all, which means my unhappiness in this life to one degree or another is based on my disobedience. I don't grow in happiness by being more disobedient. I grow in happiness by growing in obedience to what God calls me to in all these areas, which means I will have his joy As I embrace his love, as I embrace loving like he loves, I will have more and more of his joy. Which asks the question of all of us, what are we giving our lives to? Not only what are we giving our minds to, but what are we giving our lives to? How am I laying down my life? Am I laying down my life in the ways that the Bible calls me to? Again, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is. What does it mean to prove what the will of God is? Exhibit it. Show it. Walk it out before people. As you live like a good husband or wife, a good parent, a good child, a good employee, a good citizen, according to the word of God. You show, you demonstrate to the world what God says is the will of God for his creatures. We can't do that apart from Jesus, but that is what God calls us to. And so, as we've talked about before, C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that we can have in our minds that Christianity is all about self-denial. It's all about just not having good things that the world has. And he says that's a lie. Christianity is about laying down my life that other people might have good things. It doesn't mean I don't have good things too, but it means in terms of the love aspect of it, my life is about pursuing other people's happiness, just like I'm pursuing my happiness, just like I'm pursuing my good. It's not about denying myself and just going off to a monastery somewhere and not eating and drinking and and doing anything that's enjoyable, but laying down my life for the happiness of others, even as I desire that happiness. And he would say that the reason why we're not as happy as we could be is because we don't want to be. That's the whole point of the illustration when he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He's saying if we just look to the things of this world for our happiness, things that will never last and never ultimately satisfy, we're acting like ignorant children and we're too easily pleased. It's not that we want too much, we want too little. If we want what God designed us to have, we'll want Him. We'll want all the pleasure, all the joy that only He can give. The reality is, we can't pursue our happiness and our good in God, our supreme good in God, until we deal with our supreme guilt. That's why we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper Uh, Because it celebrates Christ and what he's done for us. Because the only way I can be satisfied in God is if my sin is dealt with. And Jesus is the double cure who rescues us from sin and who satisfies us in God. That's why it says in Romans 5, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son... Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. To exult in God means we jump for joy because we know that God is now our exceeding joy. And we know it because we've been reconciled to God through Jesus. So Martin Luther could say, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. Forgiveness, reconciliation through Jesus is crucial to our happiness. So let me just close with these questions for all of us. First of all, are you and I pursuing our happiness as we should? Not are you pursuing it, because you are, and I am. Are we pursuing it as we should? Secondly, are we resting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Because that's where it starts. We can't pursue our joy, our happiness in God without beginning there. Then, we have to ask ourselves, what are we giving our minds to? Are we feeding our faith? Are we just listening to lies, the lies of our own heart, the lies of the world, the lies of the devil? Are we giving ourselves to the Word of God on a regular basis? Then finally, what are we giving our lives to? Are we just living like the world lives? Or are we laying down our lives for what God calls us to lay our lives down for? All of that is related to pursuing our happiness in God. And remember, God says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your, of your heart. You will not be disappointed if you do this. I will not be disappointed, but we will be tested every day and tempted every day to think, that happiness is not found in this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. We thank you that it is your heart to make us fully and forever happy in you through your Son. Please help us to ask ourselves the question, are we pursuing happiness in you through Jesus as we should? To ask ourselves if we have been reconciled to you through Jesus. To ask ourselves what, what we're giving our minds to on a regular basis and what we are giving our lives to on a daily basis as well. Help us, Father, to pursue our happiness in you through Jesus, through your word, through living to love like you love, and grow us in it. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.